We've been working our way through the letter to the church in Rome, uh, written by Paul, uh, an apostle uh, or uh, authorized spokesperson uh, of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul is, is communicating to this church in Rome uh, the good news uh, that sinners can be made right with God. And it doesn't come through our trying to do good things and merit Uh, our acceptance before God, but it comes through resting and trusting and hoping in Christ. Uh, All of us were, uh, as we've seen uh, last week and we'll see more this week, were enslaved to sin due to the fact that we were represented by Adam. When Adam fell as our representative, all of us fell uh, guilty of Adam's sin, plunging into enslavement to sin and the corruption of our own hearts, and we are guilty and deserving death. But God sent a new representative, Paul told us a couple of weeks ago, Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect man who would live always in conformity to God's law and through his living perfectly before God as it went for him, so it went for us. And so Jesus died in our place. Jesus rose on our behalf and therefore his representing us, his his righteousness is credited to us, but also he died in our place and our sin is taken away. Uh, But what... Paul is beginning to address as he's writing to this church is some confusion and misapplication of this gospel, particularly as it relates to the believer's uh, uh, relationship with sin. Because uh, sin abounded, Paul told us in in chapter 5, but the grace of Jesus abounded all the more. Therefore, some might say, well, if, if when we sin, if God's grace abounds in the face of our sins, shouldn't we sin more so that we see and evidence and demonstrate God's grace more? By no means, Paul says. That's when he reminds us and told us, Jesus was your representative. When he died, you died. You died to sin. It no longer has dominion over you. As he closed out uh, the section we were looking at in chapter 6 last week, Paul reminds us again that sin has no dominion over you. Not only has its penalty been taken away through what Jesus has done, but its power was broken. You no longer have to submit to it anymore. But he closed up reminding us again of our relationship and the connection of, uh, of believers to the law. He says you're no longer under dominion of sin because you're no longer under law. You're under grace. Well, Paul isn't saying there that we no longer have to obey and follow the law. We're going to see that later. But what he was reminding and telling us is that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law. Uh, never was it ever that we uh, were going to serve and, 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 and keep the law and merit our position before God. But what Paul is saying now is that that is no longer where you are. The law could never deliver. Remember, we saw in Romans uh, 5 that as the law came, sin multiplied, transgression increased as our heart corrupt, rebelled against the law. But Paul's saying now something new has happened. You're under grace. Under grace, under the the goodness and the grace and mercy of our God to where He can deliver you. He can bring about salvation. The gospel is the power of God. But that brings up another objection. If we're not under the law, then why do we need to obey God really at all anyway? We're under grace, right? Right? So can't I just do whatever I want? Because the law has no uh, uh, condemning power over me anymore. How will Paul respond? What about you and me and our attitude towards sin? Our uh, recognizing the freedom that comes from being in Christ. 
So Paul is going to begin to address this over the next several weeks of us understanding our connection uh, to Christ, but also what that means for us as we're related to the law and to our God. So if you would, look with me in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. This is on page 943. If you're looking in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, we're going to be looking at verses 15 down through 23 together this morning. And kids, if you want to uh, draw a picture this morning, here Paul is going to be drawing and directing our attention to two different masters. If you could, draw me a picture of what life looks like serving each of those masters. See if you can figure out who the two masters are and draw me a picture of what it looks like to live under those masters. So let's look there in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, you know our struggle to grasp Uh, the truth and the implications of our being found in Jesus, of Him being our representative and our Savior. Uh, We pray this morning that you would help us to see and know our own hearts, that we would see your goodness, that you would see who you're calling us to, that we would understand truly what freedom really is and where it's really found. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. See, in the beginning part of Chapter 6, Paul has been emphasizing and trying to point out to God's people so that we would know and consider ourselves free from sin, free from its power. It no longer dominates and rules over us. We are free to rebel against it. Paul has been focused in this first half of chapter 6 on what we are free from. We have been set free from sin and its dominion and its controlling power over us. But now what Paul is moving to is helping us understand that we've not just been set free to do whatever we want. We've been set free from something, but we've been set free to something, or rather to someone. You notice how that comes out in this in this passage? The last passage, we were, Paul emphasized, you were under the dominion, under the power, under the enslavement of sin. But notice as, as Paul goes here, 
And he focus, and he, he's, he's addressing, he points out that now in Jesus, you're still a slave. You've been set free to be a slave. Notice, notice how he points that, that out. Look in, in verse 16. It comes up over and over again. Uh, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So Paul's saying you, you're going to serve one of, of two people or two things. You're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave here. He says obedience. Later, he goes on down and he says uh, in verse 18, You've been set free from sin. You become slaves of righteousness. He continues to go on, uh, on down uh, again in verse, the end of verse 19. Uh, For once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness. He continues to go again, emphasizing that you're still a slave. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now looking down in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Paul is trying to help us understand here that we've not been set free just to do our own thing. We've been set free to be under the the master, our God. God is our new master. Uh, here, Paul even says, I know this is, this is tough language to hear. He's saying, notice what he, uh, he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He recognizes if I'm using this language to talk about God as your master and you as his slaves, this might unnerve and disturb us a little bit. But what he's trying to do is he recognizes that we struggle to grasp the implications of what it means to be set free in Jesus. So he's given us this very vivid and straightforward illustration to help us know and understand who we are in our God. And that relates to this idea of slavery. Now, in order to understand this, we need to recognize that what Paul is talking about here isn't slavery like was experienced in the uh, in the U.S. Uh, during chattel slavery and the experience of what was going on early on in our, uh, in our nation. Um, most of the time in Rome, uh, slavery was not connected to ethnicity or race or any of those things. A lot of times people came into enslavement in Rome through, uh, uh, through military uh, conquest and people would become slaves that way. But there was another aspect of slave life in Rome that was very prominent. It was being a bond slave. One who wasn't a citizen of Rome could enslave themselves or give themselves into servitude to another as their bond master, uh, as a, a means by which would provide them a security, financial stability. It was a, a pathway to, uh, to freedom ultimately. A stable living and a job within the Roman society, but also it was a pathway to ultimately to freedom and to citizenship in Rome. And it's in that aspect that Paul is saying, so in their context, 
the, the idea of being a slave to someone wouldn't necessarily be something of where you're thinking of some cruel taskmaster and oppression. Some of them probably would have had given themselves into bond service or enslavement to another as a desire and a means to finding freedom. That may be confusing to us. Freedom is found in slavery? Notice what Paul is talking about. Let us dig a little bit deeper into what he's, what he's saying. Notice, again, back up in, in uh, verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Uh, remember, as he was telling us about our enslavement to sin, we were completely controlled and dominated by sin. We did not do good. We did not seek after God. We didn't want to. Uh, we completely and totally gave ourselves over to sin. We rebelled against God. We didn't want to obey Him. But notice what he says now. You've been set free from that cruel oppressor sin, and now you have been made a slave to obedience. Obeying God. As he goes down, and this obedience leads to righteousness. Remember, righteousness from the way Paul has been describing as is living a life that's in conformity to God's law and his character. And he, and he says this, Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Here again, he's touching on another aspect of what that freedom looks like and what that enslavement was like before. Notice what he says. He says, uh, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Another way to translate that last part to committed was to that standard of teaching to which you were handed over. Do you remember that language early in chapter 1? When Paul was telling us about the consequences of our rebellion against God, and over and over he told us that one of the consequences of our rebellion was that God was going to further give us over to sin and to our rebellion. Flip back over just to chapter 1. Notice it, it comes up several, uh, several times. Um, in, in verse 24, Therefore God gave them, up to the, gave them up or committed them or handed them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Again, down in verse 28, For this reason God gave them up or committed them or handed them over to dishonorable passions. Down in verse 28, They did not uh, see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up or committed them or handed them over to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. But notice what Paul is saying here. Before you were giving yourself and you had been given into enslavement and capture to sin to do what ought not to be done. And now Paul is saying something's changed. You've been given into uh, uh, the master of another. You've been become the slave of obedience and to God's teaching, to His rule, to His law. And that is something that is, he says, is you are, have become obedient from the heart. You see, this is a complete transformation of our hearts and in our lives. And as, in fact, uh, as the Old Testament spoke and taught about 
The coming redemption that God would bring in his new covenant spoke about it in this way, of our hearts being changed, of us instead of breaking God's commandments and rebelling against God, that we would be freed up from the heart and from our spirit to obey him. Listen to how the prophets spoke about this back in in Jeremiah 31. God says, for, as the covenant that I will, uh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel, speaking in a, a similar way, says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It seems that the way the scriptures are directing us are are showing us that, that true freedom, true deliverance, true salvation isn't just being saved from sin and given over to do whatever we want. That, in fact, would just be to be given ourselves back over to enslavement to sin again. But it's being saved from being in, uh, in domination of sin and it being our master to be given over and being made the servants, the slaves of God. That he would be our master, that we would follow him from our heart, delighting in him. And in fact, that's the, the way that it, it continues to go on, that he says uh, that now we have been set free and become the slaves of God. This is, should reorient our, our thinking. Too many times we think that freedom or liberty is only found in us being able to do what we want to do. Sometimes we can be also confused into thinking that true freedom is actually found in sin. Rebelling against God. Remember, that's what, what Adam and Eve thought. That's what Satan tried to tell them. Living under the authority, submitting to God as your master and your king is going to ruin your life. True freedom. You want to be set free? Then rebel against him. And what happened? Paul's going to get into that a little bit later. But Paul's here trying to show us and remind us that that we must never look to sin for freedom. And at the same time, we must never look to God's rule over us to Him being our authority, to Him being our master, as being confining, as being restricting, as taking away from our freedom and our liberty. Think about this. Think if you found out here in Elizabeth City that there was this dirty, rotten, cruel pet store and the owner of the pet store just totally mistreated the fish never cleaned the tank. There was all sorts of junk and trash in the tanks. You could hardly see the fish because it's so green and grimy and you smelled and the fish inside the tank just looked miserable and they had all sorts of just growth and disease growing all over them. And you found out about this and you said, how dare this be happening? These fish need to be set free and I'm going to bring them freedom and I'm going to set these fish so that they can live. And you run inside with a crowbar and you start busting up the... The, the aquariums, you're free, fish, you're free. Are they? No. That conception of freedom 
would actually lead to their death, to their destruction. The problem isn't that they're confined in the aquarium. The problem isn't that they're restricted to life and water. The problem is the master who is putting them there and the master who's ruling over them. True freedom from those fish is not found in escaping the confinement, but being moved into a pet shop, into the aquarium and the structure and the safety of one who loves them, who cares for them, who will provide for them, and where life will be found. And that's what Paul is, is telling us here. Don't you, you realize what freedom really and truly is? Is serving your God? That's what you've been created for. Living your life in conformity to His teaching, to His law, to His character, is what you've been saved for. Enslavement to God is a good thing. God being your master is where true freedom is found. And if we continue to live our lives thinking that He is trying to be cruel, that living our lives according to His law, to the standard of teaching that He's given over to us, will lead to a lessening of life, we've been confused. For those of us who, who, who don't care about battling and dealing with sin in our hearts and our lives, we've misunderstood. We've become confused to understanding what salvation is truly like. God's delivered you from a cruel master and oppressor. And He's brought you in to being under the lordship and the master of another. We might begin to think, is, is that really better though? I don't know that I want anybody to be in control over me. I like making my own decisions. Sometimes I question what God has laid out for me in Scripture who He's called me to be, these rules that God has given me about my sexuality, about my body, His designs and intentions about marriage, or, uh, or what I'm to do with my money, the way that I'm to speak to other people, how I'm to carry about myself in my job or in my relationships or in school or in a family. Man, at some point, this stuff just gets so burdensome. It would be so much easier if I could just do what I wanted to do. Paul says, be very careful. Do you know what you're saying there? Because the one that you give yourself over into obedience, that is your master. And if you aren't obeying God, the only other option is to be submitting yourself again to slavery. And so where does Paul move from here? He says, let's think back. When you begin to doubt God's goodness and you begin to doubt that true freedom is found in being enslaved to Him, in obedience to Him, Him being your master, let's think back. Let's remember, what was life like under the old master? Do you remember that? Let's, let's shake out the, the cobwebs. Let's dust off the, the fuzz and see rightly. Let's compare the result. We're in Paul's language, the fruit that came when you were serving and under the lordship, the dominating uh, rule of sin. Look at what it was like to serve that master. Look back up in verse 16. What's he tell us? 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. It leads to death. He continues to go on. Look in verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And what did that lead to? It led to more lawlessness. He continues to to go on. Uh, In verse 21, again, it comes up. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Paul's saying, think back. Do you remember what life was like there? Do you remember where that path was headed? It was death. It was destruction. Not just eternal destruction and death forever separated from God in hell, but it was corrupting and destroying your life then, whether you realized it or not. You need to remember. For those of you here who are continuing to struggle and battling, which is all of us, sin, there are times where we forget how cruel a taskmaster sin is. The result of pursuing sin. At first, it sounds like it will lead to freedom. But how often, after pursuing and giving yourself over to that master again, do you find yourself in a sense of shame, of regret, of like, man, why did I believe this stuff again? I'm miserable all over. Sometimes it may take longer or shorter for us to come to our senses and realize that. But Paul's wanting to wake us up clearer, quicker, and say, don't you realize Don't give yourself over to sin. The result is just death. It's a cruel master seeking nothing but your destruction. On the contrary, let's reflect on this new master who has saved you, who has redeemed you, who's brought you into his household. How is he described? We'll look in verse 16. What does it lead to? You're either uh, obedient to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, obedience to God. And what does that lead to? It leads to righteousness. It leads to a life that's lived in conformity to God's commands and His purposes, His character. In verse 19, it tells us, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness that led to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. This is leading to you being set apart and made more and more like the God who saved and redeemed you, being made more and more like Jesus. It's leading to an improvement, a bettering, a restoring of your life. In fact, as Paul goes on, he actually brings up that language of life. Look in verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God, what's the fruit? Well, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And what is the end of that? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see where following God leads to? Life. God told Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, it will lead to death. What did Satan say? Don't believe him. You're not going to die. 
It's not going to lead to death. God's the one who's wanting to keep life from you. But what did they find out? God was telling the truth. And living apart from His good law ultimately resulted in their destruction and their suffering. And here, Paul is saying, remember God. Remember His goodness. Remember that when you follow Him, it ultimately will lead to life. Eternal life, yes, but experiencing life in its fullness now because you've got to remember who you were made for, what you were made for, to live in a relationship with Him. But also, notice the contrast that, that Paul gives us, not just with the fruit that comes from following these masters, but do you, do you, know the, do you notice the compensation model? The way that these two masters gave their, their servants and their slaves what came about for being in a relationship with them? Notice the language Paul uses down there in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. What are you getting from sin? Exactly what you deserve. You are getting suffering. You are getting judgment. You are getting punishment. You are getting death. But notice, a relationship with God, this other master, it's not a wage-based thing. You notice what he says? It's It's a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life. You see, the eternal life that God is offering those who are, who are under His uh, uh, masterhood aren't receiving eternal life because of their service to Him. He's given it to them freely. Sin gives us what we deserve. Our God gives us better than we deserve. We don't deserve anything from Him, but in His grace and His mercy, He's promised to give us eternal life. See, God's people have always struggled with this. Adam and Eve struggled with it, but Israel did too. You remember when Israel was delivered out of enslavement to Egypt? Remember what life was like for them in Egypt? It wasn't a spa, vacation holiday. They were treated as slaves. Cruel oppression followed them. Whippings, death, murder, harsh work conditions, no days off, the destruction of their children, worshiping and being dominated by false gods. God comes in and He delivers them. And what is the message that that even in that deliverance that that God gives to Moses to tell the people and to tell Pharaoh, I want them set free so they can come out into the wilderness and do whatever they want to do out in the desert? No. Serve me. Worship me. Follow me. That is what salvation was like. But when Israel got out there, what did they decide? I don't like following this God. You know where we should go? We should go back to Egypt. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Do you not remember what it was like there? You had to hide your babies because they were going to drown them in the Nile. And you want to go back and serve that one when this one has delivered you, he's saved you, he continues to provide for you? And then the question continued to come up when Israel was going into the promised land. Joshua asked them, you got to choose this day. Who are you going to serve? You're going to continue to want to go back and serve the gods of Egypt? You're going to continue to, as we move forward, worshiping and following the gods of, of Canaan? Or are you going to serve your God, your good and gracious God? 
Notice, Paul brings up this same question. In light of what you've seen, you've got to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve that cruel taskmaster sin, or are you going to serve the gracious and benevolent and good Redeemer and Savior? Notice what he calls us to in verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Paul's saying, remember what it was like before. Remember when you were dominated and controlled by sin? There was nothing you could do. Everything about you, your hearts, your passion, your mind, your strength, you gave over to sin over and over and over and over again. Paul says, remember that. That same approach, that same mindset, now is how I want you to serve God. That's who He's delivered you to be. Give yourself over fully to obeying Him, to following Him to living a life in conformity with His laws and His rules because He's your good God. He's given His Son to save and redeem you. See here, it's, it's important for us to see that, that Paul's call here to obedience, Paul's call to righteousness, Paul's call to following God's commands given to us and revealed in the Scriptures, that call and that command is not in conflict with grace at all. What's the context we live in? Remember what Paul says. You're not under the condemning power of the law anymore. You're under grace. So because you're under grace, what should you do? Freely give yourself to submit to God's law, to His rules, to His commands, because there you will find life. You see, it's actually flowing out of grace that we're freed up to obey and serve and follow our God. You know, you remember, what is Paul announcing and proclaiming? The gospel. Gospel is a good news proclamation of the reign of a king. Jesus is our king. He's saved us. He's given his life for us. Why would we not want to follow him? We need to recognize and see that true freedom is found living our lives out under the Lordship of Christ, our Savior. One of my professors in seminary, uh, his father-in-law was a farmer out in California. And uh, the way that the farms worked out there, they were highly dependent on migrant workers. Uh, And uh, at his father-in-law's funeral, uh, he was surprised to see that many, many of the migrant workers who worked for his father over the years came to the funeral. And they got up and they spoke and they shared about what it was like to work for this man, to serve him. It was marvelous. It was wonderful. They told stories about how as soon as the, the, the seasons would change and they finally got access to come back into the U.S. again, they made it as fast as they could to be the first ones to get to his father-in-law's farm because they say, I have to work for him. I must serve him. There is no one else I want to serve. Everybody else, they treated us like trash. They treated us like objects. They abused us. They paid us poorly. But this man, 
He's kind. He's tender. Working for Him was actually freedom. He gave us much more than we deserved. And we couldn't imagine ever working for anyone else other than Him. Do you see, that's the attitude? That's the picture Paul's trying to paint for us here? You serve a good and benevolent God. The wages of sin is death. But what does your new master give you? More than you deserve. Eternal life. And that free gift of eternal life comes not through your service to Him, but through His service to you. Through giving His Son to die for you, to live for you, to rise for you. This afternoon and this next week, there are going to be many of you who enter right back in to the battle and the struggle of hearing the old call of the old master, of of thinking that, that you will find freedom straying for what God has called you to do. Or you may find yourself saying, it really doesn't matter. I don't care about battling and fighting my sin. Hear what the call of grace says. Your God has set you free. He set you free to service to Him. He is your good and benevolent Master. Following Him results in abundant and full life. True freedom is only found Resting, trusting, depending, following, and obeying Jesus as your master and king. Look to him. Find forgiveness. Be like the migrant worker whose mindset is, I can't imagine doing anything or serving anyone but our God. May I rush to give all I can to him in every aspect of my life because of what he's done for me in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the deliverance that you've given us, not giving us over to ourselves, but giving us over to you. May we follow you motivated by love and worship to the God who has set us free set us free from sin and set us, us, set us free to follow you as our master and our king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.